and I say, you know, we're about to read this, and since as as the Word of God, you know, um, it is good, it is to our benefit, and right. if we have a problem with it, then that's a problem with us that we're going to examine, not a problem with it. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and you are down to two hosts once again as summer vacation wraps up. I'm back from the Netherlands, but we are without Matt Kennedy today. Luckily, J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, is here with me. J.D., how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Nick. It just it turns out I'm the only one that's not uh, important enough to have something else to do. On a well, mid-week. you're the anchor. Stand firm doesn't <laughs> happen without its anchor. That, well, that's one way of looking at it. Uh, <laughs> but I do think celebration is in order, or at least congratulations for Matt and Ann. Matt is uh, gone because they're off celebrating their 22nd wedding anniversary. So Praise um, God. Praise God. No small feat. Yeah. You, you have 19 coming up. It'll be 20 coming up. Yeah. 20. 20. We have 20 also. When did you get married? What year? What month? Two thousand four, May. Oh, you're you're behind. So we were six months ahead of y'all uh-huh. in, in September. Yeah, we've uh, been following in your tracks ever since. <laughs> That's right. I've been trying to cover them, <laughs> and you keep uncovering them. <laughs> it's uh, I do my best, but Dagnabbit, turn around. There you are. Uh, so, Ryan at any rate, we're doing well. It's raining again. It's in Hilton Head, so mm-hmm. we've entered the rainy season. Uh, but it's all worth it come January when you're outside playing tennis. So that's there right. we go. That's right. Well, are you guys back in full swing on Hilton Head? Uh, Bible studies, rectors forums, Sunday school. Are you up to full speed for the fall? Uh, half speed. Um, we've just welcomed uh, the venerable Dr. Kelly O'Lear, who's friends of one of our listeners, at least, uh, is the new associate. So I feel like a huge um, a sigh of relief, actually, because we're fully staffed um, at the moment and preparing for Labor Day is really we really kick back off with all of our um, midweek offerings. But we keep the Sunday school and rector's form going year round during the season. That was um, that was because of the extreme demand and the um, and the unbelievable outcry when I suggested that maybe we should take a break. Well, and as <laughs> as our listener will know, you would be talking to the wall in your room. It is true. I would have some sort of blockage. I don't know. I would have to have some sort of outlet. Maybe I'd get an anonymous Twitter account and be like, um, be like bow smaller the, super uh... long form tweets <laughs> <laughs> no they're clearly as anyone who's listened to the record storm knows they are meticulously planned down to the second <laughs> um and so uh, it's been variously described as uh performance theology which i kind of liked that nice. uh that the description but but no we um so we keep that going and uh but yeah we're excited we're doing a year long of romans bible studies um, which is really only 16 weeks in terms of the way our seasons run. Cause we also have a Advent and Lent speaking series, but um looking forward to that. And um, yeah, and we've got, we have a new youth minister who's just settling in. And so we're, um, we're looking forward to the fall. What do you guys got going on? We are going to start up here in a week or two. Um, our director of family ministries is going to be t- teaching the church Leviticus, which is really exciting. We're going to do sort of a, three or four week or maybe even five or six he said sort of pre-leviticus in genesis and exodus so you can actually understand what leviticus is really about but i think a lot of the church is really excited to be taught leviticus in a way that makes sense of it rather than just sort of turn your face away from it in fear 
Um, so that'll be really good. We're starting Catechesis of the Good Shepherd for our smallest Sunday school class here in a couple of weeks. That's exciting. We've got all of our um, midweek stuff, youth group. The men are continuing to study the Gospel of John. The women are going to be studying Colossians. Just an exciting time. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, uh, your what did you call your director of student and director family? of family ministry? Yes. Well, he just turned me on to uh, an entire commentary series, which I was unaware that is based upon the sort of hermeneutical lens of Jim Jordan's um, Through New Eyes book. Have you ever, if you have heard of it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I was unaware. I've certainly read Through New Eyes, which has been um, a really, I think, it's safe to say profound book in my life, um, which is, which many people can say. Um, but I didn't realize there was an entire commentary series written from, you know, a lot of Peter Lightheart and those type Theopolitan guys. But um, I'm just slowly, slowly procuring the entire set now uh, because it's um, anyway, they just reminded me of, uh, of all of the various resources out there, but you're doing, you're doing really good work there. And I think you're, essays on on sort of gender and sexuality that you put together you know you should consider getting published so let's wow. just talk about that down the road we'll have to um, say them out loud one time before we <laughs> well that's <laughs> we'll, see. well i'm sure they'll be well received because i mean what could possibly go wrong talking right. about these things these days <laughs> so, I mean, like, yeah, to that um, end what what jd is talking about is that we have a biblical worldview class that i've taught for the last few years that i'm expanding this year uh, three extra sessions to talk about man and woman together, both in general and in the home and in the church, because uh, I think that the ACNA and the church at large could use more clarity on these issues and not less. And so we're going to be talking about these things that are we're not allowed to talk about. <laughs> yeah, but we are right. we are commanded to, to talk that's about right. because they are indeed part and parcel with the good news of Jesus Christ. It reminds me of our our, our shortly used podcast title, Impolite Company. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that was a. Uh, Sort of the idea is that this is um these are impolite conversations to have, but someone's if we can't have them at least quasi politely, then who can? So Amen. that's the goal. Well, speaking of potentially impolite conversations, we've talked a lot over the last several weeks about Resurrection Church in Austin and they're leaving the ACNA and realigning under the authority of the Episcopal Church. Um, on August 11th, Christianity Today published an article covering that story, combining it with the similar leaving last year of the table in Indianapolis. And the piece, written by Kate Shellnut, includes a bunch of really eye-opening things that need to be discussed, clarified, uh, probably corrected. Our own Ann Kennedy wrote a great piece on her Substack this morning reacting to it. You all should go read that and subscribe. But we wanted our chance to talk about it, too. So, J.D., there's a lot to discuss in this article, uh, sexual minorities as a phrase, uh, white supremacy, alleged white supremacy in the ACNA, the claim that online pushback somehow forced these churches out of their denomination and more. Yeah. Uh, what jumped out to you? Well, it's hard to know where to begin exactly. I mean, because the 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 article was written from they're asking the wrong people to write these articles, in my opinion, uh, because there's they evince such a misunderstanding, which we've talked about a lot often here, of both how the ACNA was formed, why, and what the people within the ACNA um, sort of actually think and believe about the Episcopal Church. Because the people that are at least this um, Kate Shelnut and so familiar, I feel like she's written for something other than Christianity Today, but I don't, I didn't have time or I didn't take the time to. Google, but at any rate, 
you know, the discussion continues to be framed as sort of a an, an inter-church, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, sort of schismatic breakaway kind of, um, you know, civil war type thing, as opposed to what it actually was, was the refounding of an entire denomination um, a resetting of an entire sort of theological trajectory that uh, people voluntarily chose to walk away from an entire denomination and and reestablish and restart another. And so, so when it talks about sort of the breakaway Episcopalians, for instance, you know, in the very first sentence of the article formed in 2009, the Anglican Church in North America is known for taking in breakaway Episcopal congregations. That's not how it could no. be framed or should be framed. I mean, the, the ACNA formed in 2009 as the reestablishment of global of Orthodox Anglicanism in North America over against the now uh, heretical um, you know, Episcopal Church. I mean, or something like that. Again, you may not want to use that type of explosive language. I mean, I might get a Substack piece read. But that's when I read the very first sentence. I was like, okay, I know where this is going. Like, this is, this is going to be an article, interestingly enough, written to what seems to be the Christianity Today constituency, who is seems to be, and this is just inference. I mean, I don't couldn't didn't have any way of validating this this inference. Nevertheless, it seems to be that that more and more the writers, if not the consumers of Christianity Today, are more sympathetic to some of these churches that are leaving the ACNA than the ones who are staying in. Now that might be that might just be my sort of feeling about it, but the the tenor and the tone of the article, while of course making clear to say some of the wildly heretical positions, like you know, full inclusion of LGBTQ people in the life of the um, leadership of the church and things, um, you know, by pointing out that that may be a bridge too far for many, um, the way that they talked about the other issues implied to me that there was a sympathy to their complaint over against the ACNA that well, at the I very just least, reject. At the very least, they allow resurrection and the table to define the terms, right? When, That's right. When they use words like justice, there's never a parenthetical addition about what do you mean when you say justice? And when you say that you're focused on justice, is that some implication that there are churches in the ACNA that are not, quote, focused on justice? That's right. What what does being focused on justice mean? And then when you say that you have, you're against white supremacy, what are you implying there? Are you saying that there are churches in the ACNA that are white supremacist? Are you saying that That's there right. are white supremacist clergy in the ACNA? If so, who are they? And what are they doing that makes them white supremacist? These terms go completely uninvestigated in the piece. And it's just they're allowed to just sit out there as though, you know, of course, I want to be for justice. And of course, I'm against white supremacy. And the claim that I'm somehow part of a group that is against justice and for white supremacy, therefore, <laughs> Resurrection Church and the table and for the mistreatment leave. of people of color right. and to the ignorance or ignoring abuse victims and I mean this is just what they're you know reading the the paragraph here that you're referencing they they the leaving congregation cited their con their convictions around the inclusion of women in leadership hospitality towards sexual minorities opposition to white supremacy treatment of people of color and response to abuse victims in the church you're like am I agree with you entirely like the implication yeah, these words have no left unsaid definition right now. That's right. And that's what I mean back when I said in the beginning about 
the the tenor of the article seemed to be sympathetic to largely sympathetic uh, to the departing congregations for that very reason that who could read this and say well if that's your concern right. well then I would have left too you know goodness you know I'm not uh, for white uh, supremacy and 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 in hospitality towards sexual minorities like who what church what did I know wouldn't be right. hospitable except if that meant you know, fully affirming and welcoming to positions of leadership, uh, you, you know, without repentance. I mean, whatever the case may be like, but but in general, hospitality, again, you're exactly right. I mean, the term, you know, begs to be defined. Um, and yet there it was it was simply one sided to. Um, well, that's not true. They had Jeff Walton at the end and, and he helped. And and I think Gross. he helped clarify, to be fair. He definitely helped clarify. But yeah, I think this was the, you know, when I was reading it the whole time, and I'd be interested to hear what you think about or what your answer to this is, you know, what were these pastors and congregations told? Like, what what did this like marketing come join the ACNA, you know, here's an information session, like what was... I'd love, I wish there was like a PowerPoint deck we could uncover, if anyone knows, or some sort of like video. I mean, not for any, you know, I don't want to have sort of contempt or I just am genuinely interested, like what was told to these people about the ACNA that could find them in a position where 80% of the congregation votes to leave uh, and in no large, small part, excuse me, because of um, the quote, that we weren't quote unquote hospitable enough to sexual minorities, you know, I mean, because he goes on, he says, Everyone in our church was in agreement about women's and women and people of color and even our concerns about the sexual abuse allegation. The sticking point was around sexuality, and I think their concern is legitimate. Um, so, you know, he did acknowledge that there was a there was a minority within the church who thought that would be a step too far. Right. But it was only it turns out 20 percent. So what what was I'm just interested, like, how did you, you I mean, you have the luxury, uh, in a sense, of having planted that church. And so there was a clarity of purpose and conviction from the outset that was, um, well, that was that was attractive to some and repellent to others, uh, you know, but I think there are. And, and so, you know, for instance, my church that I've been called to lead uh, has been was had been an Episcopal church for a long time, but was really in the um, center of the uh, Diocese of South Carolina's exiting the Episcopal Church and replanting as an ACNA diocese. And so they weren't completely unaware. And yet, even then, there are people who could have come, you know, intermittently, or if you just kind of came in at eight o'clock and left, before, like right after the peace or something, you know, there were ways you could you could be forgiven yeah. for not really knowing what's going on. But this was like your church, like they were planted as an ACNA church. And how did that happen? I mean, it's really it's really confusing to me. One of the things I noticed serving in the Episcopal Church for the years that I did was, as you said, if somebody came to just church on Sunday morning and just heard the proclamation of the gospel in the sermon and didn't stay for any Bible study or formation or discipleship, I could see and I did see how that gospel proclamation cut off from everything else. And I I say this as kind of a judgment on my preaching years ago, could be heard as antinomian affirmation, which we have friends who were Episcopal clergymen when Gene Robinson was consecrated and they reacted and their churches said, what? Why are you yeah. angry? I thought you were all about grace and mercy and forgiveness. And they had to sort of recalibrate everybody in their churches to say, grace 
is meaningful as an antidote to law. Law is real and true and holy and good. So we have to have that first. And I think that at least I can see how some preachers could be quote unquote gospel preachers in their minds, but not actually preaching the fullness of what you need to be saved from. Mm. And so if people aren't coming to their Bible studies or the Bible studies aren't doing what they're supposed to do, I could see how somebody would be surprised. And I've, I've had to sort of actively overcome this in my own life and church. One of the reasons that we're doing this worldview class that I talked about before is that I couldn't risk anybody not knowing anymore. I had to say, you cannot come to a full cycle of Christian formation in my church and not know what we stand for on these issues. Well, and I totally agree. And we've walked through that whole, well, we've walked through this life in that respect together. So I'm, I resemble a lot of that development. Um, and I would say refining, you know, not altogether, uh, pleasant as, as fire is not, it's not always the case. Nevertheless, I'm grateful for it because, um, well, if we're going to stick with that theme for a second, you know, part of what I think, uh, I was at least sliding into was sort of a kind of a hopeless cynicism, you know, it was like, well, we're all broken. Like we're all, we're all sinners who am I to judge? And there's a certain aspect of that for sure. <clears throat> but at the same time, there's also a hopeful sense of at least some some taste of redemption, some taste of deliverance, um, this side of heaven, that could look like victory over sin, um, victory over temptation, you know, some actual fruit of the spirit um, that would produce something like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and and yes, self-control. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that the Lord was was merciful in his, his discipline um, in my life, but certainly was um, severe enough to forge some very, some pretty significant convictions around these issues, particularly when it comes to human identity and what we would now call sexuality issues, because, um, you know, to have seen the the um, havoc wrecked um, when there's been sort of a blind eye turned towards the libertinism of our current culture with respect to these issues, um, as if, you know, there was no lasting consequence for brokenness in this area and sin is just, um, well, it's unavoidable. And when it begins to get close to your family and friends, when you begin to see your neighbors, as it were, consumed by and um, devoured in some ways by the... um, I don't know the excesses of the of the identitarian sexual identitarian movement. Well, then that can really motivate you to, to acts of love, which in our case would be preaching and teaching and exhorting and equipping. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I understand how I, I do think you're right, and I think that the description of how a, a everyday church person in whatever denomination could sort of be blindsided if you have a someone who genuinely knows themselves to be a sinner who's a preacher and therefore is genuinely compassionate towards sinners of all types, which is a positive, um, and yet is hesitant for, you know, for all sorts of reasons to preach both law and gospel, then I think you could be forgiven to a certain degree of being surprised at the very least. But mm-hmm. what I'm interested in are these people that joined the ACNA who were somehow, was it willful ignorance or was it was it sort of calculated obfuscation as to how we actually were formed and what the what the precipitating issues were? Well, I don't know the answer to about, that. We're not talking about the congregation now. We're talking about the clergy who that's right would have 
known that the ACNA existed for a particular set of reasons. This is actually something that I found really valuable in Anne's article this morning. We're recording this on Wednesday the 16th. She talked about origin stories and how origin stories are important and need to be told not just to new people, but to remind people who have been in since the origin where they came from, because that is how you know who you are. Well, and, and we get that directly from scripture, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob mentioned? Right. You know, it's like, why do you have to keep talking about these guys? Well, um, because they were our patriarchs. You know, how many times the Exodus remembered? Like, how many times are the, you know, the deliverance from, you know, for the uh, promised land and into the prompt, you know, all and the negatives too, you know? I mean, I think that was a really good point because we have walked through it and out of the Episcopal church into the new, the new church, which is ACNA. And so we have, um, you know, been close to the bone in terms of this. And, but I'm sympathetic. I have to admit, I'm sympathetic to the ministers who found themselves like apparently this guy, uh, McCain and um, whatever the other guy's name, Tebbs, who seemed, you know, I'm going to give them as the benefit of the doubt and be as gracious as I can and say that they seem to be evincing a sense of bait and switch almost, uh, you know, that because, you know, they don't I, seem I, to be saying that they came to some new understanding. The implication that's right. that's what I mean. is that they've been out of step all along. That's what I mean. And that's where I'm sitting there saying, like, how could this happen? Because, um, you know, how could you Talk, I mean, nobody who dislikes the ACNA, I mean, if you just read the comments on Tish Warren's blog all the time, no one who dislikes the ACNA will say anything other than that is the homophobic church that can't handle, you know, gay clergy or something, you know, and it's like we would push back on that, obviously, with that type of vitriol. But to the extent that that was the presenting issue and that would be a, you know, a bridge too far that we burned, you know, I mean, that that seems to at least be part of the initial conversation. I mean, I was struck by this, too. Uh, when I was doing intake, uh, well, when I do intake for new members, you know, we just we don't. Uh, well, there has been times in my life when I tried to downplay some of these distinctives yeah. and that has come to, come back to bite me. You know, yeah. I mean, I've been Absolutely. I have had people come back and say, why didn't you, you know, tell me about this? And I said, well, you know, I was going to. I, I didn't want to just lay it all on you in the beginning. And, and, you know, I, I mean, I don't really know what my defense was at this point. It must've been, it must've sounded as sad as it, as it was, because I essentially said, well, I was getting around to it. You know, it's like, I was going to get to that point. And it's like, it's like, if the disciples had been like, Jesus, why didn't you tell us we were all going to carry a cross? He's like, I did. He's like, you, had, you didn't understand what I was saying, but, but yes, you know, I did say that. And I have now reminded you by my spirit. Um, and so, but I think, you know, so now our low intake class, you know, we go through all, all these things, um, you know, for, from the very beginning. It's yeah. like, look, you know, we can talk. If you have if you have a genuine concern about why, then I will have I have as much time as you need. You know, um, you know, t- show me how the Bible says this. Why is this important? Why is this a hill to die on? These are conversations that I'm willing to have, you know, for as long as you need me to have them. But if it's that you shouldn't, you know, or how could you? Well, then we're going to have a different type conversation um, and it may not end in us walking together because that's a that's a different. So, like, for instance, and they talk about uh, women in leadership, which we've talked about a bunch recently. I mean, that they didn't know that there were some people, some diocese in our church that that had very different stances on on women in leadership than C4SO. Like, how is that possible? And that there's a constitutional restriction province wide that men can serve as bishops and that's it. 
That's not, that's not which, new which news. Was, which was, in fact, the compromise that allowed the, the the establishment of the entire province in the first place. I mean, it's really, it's, you know, I think in part, and this is this is an actual criticism, I think it's in part because some of our social media platforms have been essentially silenced for any sort of um, vigorous debate on any of these issues or discussion, because at the first hint of kind of people getting, um, well, feeling their feelings, however, um, you know, rightly or wrongly, they get silenced. You know, and I'm thinking in particular, some Facebook groups or some, you know, sort of, um, uh, you know, Twitter discussions that are like we've talked about in the past, if there's something specifically unchristian, unkind or ninth commandment violation, if there's something sinful about the the discussion, well, then it should be censured. But the fact that people feel passionately about these things, and sometimes it comes across as, um, uh, well, passionate. Um, I think the fact that that some that that there's no outlet for this publicly, um, or the people that engage in it are either silenced or shamed, and therefore there's this there are these echo chambers all around. Uh, evidently, evidently there are these echo chambers where there are entire congregations who say, eighty percent of us now understand what the ACNA really is. We can't abide being in communion with in the same province with those people over there who who think differently about everything we do. And therefore we're going to join the Episcopal church. I mean, I just, I think it's, I mean, the fact that it happened is, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful. I mean, I hope they seem to be more clearly aligned than certainly we would be. But again, what I'm concerned about is how did we get to a place where this happened, both from the clergy perspective and then the, the congregants, because it's really, and uh, it, it must've been, it, it seems unnecessarily unpleasant for everyone involved. It's just human though. I mean, I was, I was reflecting the other week and I realized, I think I'm not sure I've ever turned down a job that I was offered. And mostly that's just because it feels so good to be wanted. And in the same way, when somebody comes to our membership class, I want them to come through it and join the church. And I want our church to be growing. And that happens at the diocesan level that happens at the provincial level. We want more churches in our diocese. We want more churches in our province. We want more people in our churches. And so that leads us to try to lower the fences. And it's just, we have to, we have to come to a place where we have to admit to ourselves and confess that what that lowering the fences action is, is actually us thinking we know better than God who needs to be on this side of the fence and who needs to be be on that side of the fence and that it's actually potentially at least, and obviously none of us do these things perfectly, but it's potentially better to find out in the new members class, if somebody actually belongs on the other side of the fence to find out then rather than in six years when they want to burn everything to the ground. Yeah, that's right. Cause that's what happens. I mean, that's what happens if people get, they, you know, and, and again, I don't like to watch it, but in a certain sense, I understand if you have spent five and a half years being lied to, you know, or, or feel like you've been lied to. And all of a sudden you wake up and you say, wait, what? You know, yeah. and who didn't why didn't you tell me this or what? And I think, um, you know, I don't like it's it's not a pleasant to to watch, but I think, you know, it's understandable, which is, again, what we're trying to offset. I mean, this we've talked about this before. If you would just distill the Jerusalem Declaration and put this on the front of every bulletin of every ACNA church in the country, um, we wouldn't have this problem. You know, if we would have a, um, 
And so I, um, because, you know, it's beautiful actually about the ACNA and I grow in my admiration of it, although albeit, you know, as an intra, as a member of the family, you know, it's like I say, I, I'm happy to talk about my family, but if you, right. you, you talk about it, you can't criticize my sister. Up, only I can right. criticize my sister. That's right. Put up your dukes. As they say, um, how big a boy are you? Remember, uh, Roy D. Mercer, <laughs> remember <laughs> Google that listener, you know, you know, hours of, of hilarity and hijinks will ensue. Roy D. Mercer. But no, you know, I, I, the, the, the actual breadth and diversity with the ACNA with respect to, to so many different, um, you know, otherwise church, seemingly church dividing issues is really quite, quite breathtaking. I mean, I know it's way too broad for some, but, you know, we have everything from, you know, wealth, the diocese C4SO all the way to, you know, the REC and back, you know, and again, I mean, that's, I don't want to say maybe that's not exactly the two edges of it, but like, that's, that's, you know, however uncomfortable bedfellows those are, nevertheless, we're still here, you know, we're still working. And I think, you know, I think that the the experiment, um, well, it's not an experiment, it's a, it's a church. And, you know, that's a, dependent on the mercies of God. Uh, but I, I think that the clearer we can be and the more sort of deliberate in that proclamation is actually a mission. That's actually true missional uh, work because what we're proclaiming are sort of fundamental biblical gospel truths about who Jesus is, the authority of scripture, about the creation of men and women that, you know, may seem or are in fact countercultural in much of the West, but are actually the 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 voice of the good shepherd calling to his sheep. I mean, that's what, and so people that are lost and hurting, particularly in these areas, don't need to be hidden from these truths, but need to be be introduced to them. And I think you know, to the extent that we have this um, divide in ACNA, I hope that with the sort of leaving of these two churches, not that I wish any church to leave the ACNA, but I hope that it at least is indicative of of we're getting clearer, not more opaque, um, you know, and I think the more these type of conversations we have, the better. Now, the difficulty of the Christianity Today article, going back to it, is precisely what you mentioned in the beginning, is that it did not help clarify where the actual disagreements were, um, because it could have said something like there's a disagreement about the uh, historic position of women in leadership over against, you know, sort of a more novel approach to um, opening, you know, the the various orders of threefold ministry, irrespective of gender or something like that. I mean, on down the line, you know, there's a disagreement about the concept of justice, whereas, you know, this church saw it this way, this church saw it the other and, and down, you know, so on and so forth. But instead, as you pointed out, it just made it sound like these churches were much more in step with the current cultural concerns, whereas the ACNA was stuck in, you know, like traditionalist um, head in the sand, uh, at least from the article's perspective, from the uh, the way it was framed. Now, I do think Jeff Walton, I think his quote um, in particular was really very helpful uh, when he said that, you know, quote, the departures are indicative of a disconnect between two groups within the ACNA, former mainline Protestants, including former Episcopalians, standing against revisionist theology and post-evangelicals reacting against cultural hallmarks of their prior church homes, such as complementarianism or Christian nationalism. I think that that seems to be, you know, and he's got the receipts, as they as they say, to back it up with all of the various um, data that he collects as part of his job. But that certainly seems to be the the sense on the ground, you know, in the various places we've served and kind of the very in the conversations we've had is that there's a lot of um, there are people who who know why, you know, there's two groups of people who know what they're leaving, um, but they're leaving different things by and large and meeting on in the same church and having a vision for the future of that church, which 
well, looks looks different to each other. And so, you know, I mean, I, I'm thinking of a guy in particular I had a long conversation with who in no small part was drawn to Anglicanism as a minister because we had weekly communion, you know? And I said, well, you know, there are a lot of churches that have weekly communion. And to be fair, nothing was stopping you from having weekly communion in your own kind of free Bible church type thing. Maybe you should have considered some of the other reasons to join before, before that. But, you know, there you go. I remember, and you'll remember this too, when Fitz Allison came to Trinity to do a quiet day for the students. He was, he's the, at that time, long time retired and now really, really long time retired Episcopal Bishop of South Carolina. And now, now received recently into the ACNA by the oh, really? by Bishop Chip Egger. Yeah. Praise Big God. Day. Finally. I know. I know. Um, but one of the things that he said at that quiet day that I will never, ever forget was he stood up in front of us students and he said that he needed to confess and repent of loving the church too much. And yep. not it's not exactly the same, but one of the things that I've had to do myself, it's kind of the flip side of that coin. I've had to repent of being embarrassed of God's word and Amen. what it says. And to his credit, my bishop, Steve Breedlove has um, said to me that we can never be ashamed of the scriptures, that we can never apologize for them. We can proclaim them in a certain way to certain people, perhaps using certain language that might make them easier to understand or to digest. But the truth of God's word is what gives life. And mm -hmm. for us to think that we have some better handle on what life is, is shocking hubris and yeah. needs to be cut down and thrown away. And um, I think that I know this has been true of me, like I was saying before about wanting everybody who's in the membership class to join the church and wanting my church to get big and wanting to be, wanting to be and be and be instead of wanting to be what God wants us to be. And mm -hmm. I have I have had to repent of that and I continue to and want to and I want to be able to tell the truth in love absolutely but those two things are not exclusive I need to be subservient to God's truth and no no other self-made truth Amen I mean that's a good bishop for you right there and I wish that I I didn't as you were talking have you know like a montage of melancholy music playing in my head of you and my our ministry together for so many years. Sort of, um, it wasn't entirely melancholy music because the Lord was gracious despite our. Um, well, he was growing us. I mean, I was talking to someone the other day about what did you think when you were 25, you wouldn't develop theologically or or be sanctified or refined over the next 20 years. Mm -hmm, you know, yeah. I mean, so I'm grateful that you know you know, the my theology hasn't, uh, hasn't had to do a 180 degree turn. Although, oh, it was in the context of talking about Thomas Oden. I don't know if you ever, I forget the title of his biography, but we we're talking about his biography where he, he's, he's uh, long dead or not long dead, but for many years now, but his, um, he basically was like a mainline liberal um, kind of social progressive kind of activist and then, you know, got converted. And then, you know, that's his testimony through his book. And so it's a, it's a, that's not exactly what happened to us, uh, but it's it's more than what happened to me than I expected at 25. I can tell you that much. And it's to your exact point, Nick. I mean, I, I find myself now reading some 
parts of the scriptures, which is very um, can be very contentious. And of course, it revolves around the contentious realities of life, men and women, um, limits on desire, um, what sin is, heaven, hell. And I say, you know, we're about to read this. And since as as the word of God, you know, um, it is good. It is to our benefit. And right. if we have a problem with it, then that's a problem with us that we're going to examine, not a problem with it. And, you know, and that's that's that took some, um, you know, as Paul says, I've learned to be content in good times and bad and in plenty and in want. And well, I've learned to say that um, uh, through good times and bad and plenty and want. And I'm grateful uh, to be able to say that. And I think, you know, going forward, um, you know, with the ACNA in particular and all these things, there's, um, you know, the faster and, and, and sooner we can get more clarity on you know what we how we were formed why we were formed and what the good in that was not just the no you know it's like i tell people all the time i said you know that that everyone who knows genuine knows the genuine christian position and particularly this presenting issue here the human sexuality you know the one that we talk about often nobody really thinks that traditional quote unquote biblical christian no quote unquote traditional biblical christianity has said anything else other than one man one woman holy matrimony and all sorts of fornication are outside the bonds of being able to be blessed so at various times in human history that has been easier and harder to say and we're in a particularly difficult time uh, to say that and yet that's the christian position and so everyone knows that and so there's sort of this giant no out there and i think we're in the process of rebuilding the yes behind it and i think that's come because of the the no has the no uh that we say has been um seen as this sort of limiting factor for human you know pleasure and fulfillment and that has uh, that was a lie and is being exposed as such you know all around us you know the sexual revolution the gender confusion the um you know choose your own identity sort of bookstore is uh is a hellscape as they say and so we are in the process of getting to rebuild this yes and it may not seem missional in the way that church growth books were talked about 30 years ago, but it is it is biblical and it is, yeah. in fact, the gospel. And I think uh, it's like we talked about last week with the Barbie movie. I think that as seemingly uh, uncomfortable as these actual truths are, the actual truth can set people free, as Jesus says. And that's what that's what we're holding on to. And, and I don't you know, I don't have any joy that there are these conflicted congregations and I don't like the fact that there people are, you know, wake up one day and don't realize what church they're in. And, and you know, I don't like being it, the implications of some of this discussion in the Christianity Today article, but I am grateful to be in a in a church that was wrought out of that, that was that was delivered, really, you know, that we were I mean, had Fitz gotten up and said something different that day. I don't know where I would be. You know, I actually remember it as an Ash Wednesday sermon, but I don't know. That's um, oh, maybe. That, at any rate, I talk about that often he a lot it. too, because <laughs> I pointed to people that my entire ministry and I say, listen, if, if, if that man confessed that given all of his life and resources, I mean, you know, uh, life and energy towards it. And he confessed that like, who do I think I am? You know, I just had been an, I had been an Episcopalian for like a hot minute um, <laughs> because I met John Yates and Liza and her family, you know? And so I held it very lightly and I'm grateful for that. But had he said something else, who knows? And so, you know, I, you talk about origin stories, 
you know, these are men, I mean, like the blessed Peter Moore, I mean, these men that we met some 20 something years ago who, who were crucified, um, that idol of the Episcopal church, they were, they were refined of in such a powerful and dramatic way so that they were the leaders who walked out, particularly Peter and, and Bishop Duncan and all the people, you know, all the people at the John Rogers. I mean, you go down the list of people who, um, who helped form the ACNA and you say, we continue to tell that story, not to valorize them, but to be grateful for the sacrifices that were made for us so that we can stand in this position. And so we're not going to just let that be sort of forgotten or or disparaged, even worse. Or I don't know what that's worse. No, but it's the living... It's the living illustration, the one that we've used a hundred times, a thousand times of the surgeon who has to cut you open to get the cancer out. And nobody likes to hear that they have the cancer. Nobody likes to see the surgeon walking toward them with the scalpel, but it's the only way to save the patient's life. And those are the men who knew that, who knew that it was going to be hard and that they were going to lose things, that they were going to, you know, they were going to fail, lose. Yeah. They they lost. Like they're on the wrong side of history, at least for now. But they knew that the surgery was going to lead to the life of the church. Amen. And Amen. that's what we, that's our origin story. And that's what we need to keep remembering so that we know what we're doing this for. That's right. And that's why just as a plug, you know, every time I go back to Trinity School for Ministry, which I'm on the board, you know, they have that wall of, Mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of evangelical greats. And I, you know, there's some still living people on that, but that's an important reality. I mean, that's a very biblical Christian, you know, way of understanding your, your role, because what it does is just the fifth commandment. I mean, honor your father and mother is not simply your, your actual father and mother, although that is, but it's the patrimony you've received. I mean, you didn't, well, you know, we are inheritors and uh, trustees of immense amount of sacrifice. I mean, I'm thinking right now, you know, Christ Church Mount Pleasant, where I was just recently serving, you know, they lost their building and they're they're in the process of a capital campaign. And, and you know, God is going to be faithful uh, to their rebuilding efforts. But you talk about people that have counted the cost. Um, you know, we were all the whole diocese down here and so on and so forth. I mean, you know, we all have our, I mean, Matt, we're here, obviously they have their um, story. You have your story, you know, your office in the basement of your house now, you know, I mean, you're, and all it was f- for the good. I mean, all it was for the good. And uh, for the freedom of being able to stand up for the goodness of the word of God, despite the whatever objections the culture uh, may raise against against it, you know, the VDMA, the Verbo Domine Manet and Eternum, the word of God will endure forever. And we um, we are grateful to have inherited that responsibility and will not shirk it and certainly will not cease to defend it when it's um, called into question, even by August magazines like Christianity Today. Well, on that note, let's close ourselves out here. Thank you to you, your listener, for listening to Stand Firm this week. Uh, If you want to keep the conversation going, you can be in touch with us. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com, or you can join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks, J.D. Uh, Matt Kennedy hopefully will join us again next week. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we will be back. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Mm